welcome. I'm Jessica Baldanzi. I'm a professor in the English department. Our guest speaker, Kendra Yoder, earned her master's in social work at the University of Missouri in Columbia and is finishing up her dissertation in sociology there as well. She currently teaches Introduction to Sociology and Religion and Society at Indiana University South Bend, and her five-page, 10-point font resume lists publications, research, teaching, and presentations on issues such as, but not limited to, social inequalities, culture and identity, sociology of religion, and feminist theory and methods. Somehow she manages to excel at all these pursuits while parenting three children under two years old. As the mother of only one child under two years old, I stand in awe of Kendra's supermom status. But most relevant to today and to this week is Kendra's former work as a University of Missouri coordinator of the Relationship and Sexual Violence Prevention Office, as well as her most recent research, studying sexual violence and working to stop it. Her dissertation is based on a community program called Teen Relationship Education and Empowerment, a faith-based initiative against violence, which engages with religious groups to educate youth about teen dating violence and how to engage in healthy relationships. Please welcome Kendra Yoder for her talk, Sexual Violence, Empower Yourself to be Part of the Solution. Thank you, everyone. It's wonderful to be here. I want to um, express special thanks to the planning committee, um, Jesse Gottwalds, Jessica Baldanzi, and Shar Hostetler for inviting me, for thinking of me. Um, and it's just a pleasure to be here to help kick off this important week, um, Rape Awareness Week. Um, I also want to put out there thank you, a big thank you to students, faculty, and staff who are going to support all of the fabulous events that are going on this week. Uh, I think that. Um, you can make a huge difference just by um, engaging and asking questions and listening and um, you know, being an advocate for these issues. So I want to start, um, I want to begin with a few disclaimers. First of all, sexual assault and rape are difficult issues to talk about. I have to warn you, I do use humor um, when I talk about these issues, so don't hesitate to laugh if I'm being really funny because, you know, that helps me, makes me feel good, makes you feel good, and sometimes we use humor to kind of break up the heaviness of, of these topics, and it's appropriate, I promise. Okay, so these are um, very uh, difficult issues to talk about, which can be one of the main reasons we don't spend a lot of time thinking or talking about these issues. And um, I always like to start by just urging everyone to take care of yourself during this presentation, during this whole week of events. Uh, we're all affected by these issues, whether we know it or not. Um, but those of us who have uh, personal experience with rape and sexual assault, um, you know, take care of yourself. Uh, seek out um, the wonderful support system here at Goshen College, um, Shara Hossler, um, other people, um, parts of the Sexual Assault Prevention Coalition, other people who are really um, engaged and present to, to listen and support you through these issues. The other thing I want to say is, well, whether we're prepared to look at it or not, we all have a connection to these issues. For some of us, it's through our direct experience with violence. For others, 
It is the connection to someone you know or love who has been impacted. Or maybe your connection is a broader concern for community safety, or it's connected to your passion for social justice, or perhaps it's rooted in your desire to contribute something positive to the world and make a difference, or a combination of all of those things. As I pre present today, I challenge you to stay anchored in that connection. The daily reality and the human cost of sexual assault within our campus community and our broader community demands that we respond urgently and immediately. The real this reality demands that we don't let peripheral, peripheral things distract us from the goal of effectively intervening, responding, and ultimately reducing violence. We must look past the controversy, the missteps that often accompany this issue. We must cut through the information fueled by thoughts like, oh, this isn't my issue, it doesn't have anything to do with me, or it can't happen to me. Whether you realize it or not, and this perhaps can be the main message of my talk today, we are all contributing to the cause or the solution to sexual violence in our community. If you are acting to stop or interrupt violence, or you are remaining silent and passive or dismissive of these issues, either way, A choice not to get involved is a choice to allow it to continue. It's as simple as that. So what I want to do first is I want to start by um, doing a couple of things. The beauty of having this movement be around now in this country for almost 30 years, or 30 years plus, depending on what history you're looking at, is that we do have a working vocabulary about what rape and sexual violence is. Uh, when this work began, when rape crisis um, centers started popping up in the United States, um, there was a huge amount of work just to say this is a legitimate issue and this is happening to lots and lots of people and we need to legitimate it. So just taking a show of hands, how many of you ha have had some sort of presentation on sexual assault or rape in your high school or your church or your community or your college or in a classroom? Raise your hand high just so I can get a sense. Yeah. This is my sense of it. Um, so we do have this working vocabulary of what this means and what we're talking about and the legitimacy of this issue. It doesn't mean that we've eradicated it by any means, but we at least have a platform in which we can build on, and that's what I'm hoping to do today. I always like to start, though, by sort of defining our terms. We can't assume that we know what we're talking about when we talk about these issues. And then I want to I wanna flip through some important statistics and talk about what that looks like. And then I want to pay attention and listen to some survivor stories before I turn to talking about prevention, which is what I really want to talk to you about. So let's build on what we know. Uh, first of all, there are lots of ways to define rape and sexual assault, and it matters how we define that. Um, there are state statutes that differ in all 50 states, um, and certainly internationally we have a different understanding of what is and what isn't and what counts and what doesn't. But for today I want us to take up a social understanding that what we're talking about when we talk about sexual assault is any sexual act that is unwanted, any sexual act that is made without the consent of the person who um, is uh, in that situation. 
So with that understanding, let's just look at sort of the scope of the problem. And these stats, what do stats do for us? Statistics are a way of thinking about the research data that's been um, collected over time. Um, it's a way of giving us an understanding of sort of the scope of the problem, but it can't do everything for us. But let's kind of talk about this. This is probably the most famous statistic we know. One in four college women will be a victim of sexual assault during her academic career. And since we've been collecting this data on college campuses, um, that statistic continues to come up. It continues to be one in four. Now, how is that possible? 30 years of education and awareness and prevention, and we're still seeing similar statistics showing up on our college campuses. How is that possible? 3% uh, of American men. Um, men as survivors, um, this has been a, a long time coming as far as an issue. Uh, men continue to be the most underreported victims of sexual assault. We have to pay attention to that. Why is it so hard to, to name our experiences and come forward? 48.8% of college women never defined their experience as rape or sexual assault. How do we make sense of that? So we have, all of us have had exposure to these issues. We understand that this happens and that it impacts a, lo a lot of us. We still don't define our experiences as rape or sexual assault when they happen. We've got to ask the question why. On average, at least 50% of college students' sexual assaults are associated with alcohol. We need to think about that. How does alcohol, as the number one predatory drug um, around rape and sexual assault, how does that impact um, our ability to name our experience, our experience in social settings? Males are least likely to report, but make up 10% of all victims. At least 80% of all sexual assaults are committed by an acquaintance. This is somebody we know, somebody we're at least comfortable enough to open our door to, somebody we pass on campus. Um, so again, uh, th these are things we may have a sense of uh, because we have an idea about what this issue is about now, but they're still really, really difficult to kind of grapple with. And then less than 28% of sex crimes are reported to the police. So why is the reporting so low? So what I want to do next, and I want you to think about those statistics, because they can give us a snapshot. They can tell a particular part of a story. But I think the other part we need to attend to is um, people's real experiences. And so what I want to do, um, I had some really courageous friends who got together and put a um, clip together of, of people's experiences um, as survivors. And so I want you to listen, and I want you to imagine that um, these peers of yours are mothers or sisters or uh, friends or colleagues, they may be your colleague one day. And I want you to, to sit and listen um, and respect what they have to say. And again, I, um, I just want to put a disclaimer out that, that they are going to talk about their experiences, so please take care of yourself. So let's listen to some survivors. told him not to. I said, no, don't do this. I'm not ready. I don't want to do this yet. You know, 
give me a little time. No, 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 no. I told not him yet, no. Not yet. No. I'm not ready. Don't no, do this. No, a million times. No. And um, at some point, and he just I'm not exactly sure even what happened, even but he was on top of me. Yeah. And he just um, he said to remove clothing, and I was like, you're really drunk. Oh. Stop it. And I was so tired, and I felt so sick, and I didn't want to wake up. And the voice kept saying, wake up, you're in trouble. And so I then forced myself to open my eyes, and he was on top of me. He was raping me. When I was 13, I was raped by my boyfriend. So I was 20 years old, and um, I actually knew the guy. I met him through a friend. I was raped last year, my freshman year of college, when I was 19 years old. Uh, who has forgotten their prom night? Um, that's something we always remember. I just happened to have had a difficult night at my prom night, and I remember all of that, too. He yelled to the other guy in the other room, come on, she's fighting me, I need your help. Then he got really forceful, and he held me down, um, and started taking, held me down with one hand and took my clothes off with his other hand. Um, and I kept fighting with him, and he'd put, take my clothes off, and I'd pull my pants, I was just holding on to my pants as tightly as I could, um, and trying to push him off me. And I started getting really upset, and I was like shaking, and I just cried, and I don't really know how long it lasted, because I kind of just blinked it out, but he did whatever he wanted to do, and I just went somewhere else. And, um, but after the first time, I never said no. His story was he was too drunk to remember. He didn't know what happened either. But I knew at that time, through anatomy and physiology, for a male to be able to maintain a, an erection, he could not have been that drunk. The next day, he sent me a Facebook message and said, for anything that happened, I'm sorry. I don't remember. Um, I was really fucked up like gin and juice man, it'll do that to you. He sent me a message on Facebook, actually, and told me that he didn't want anything to do with me anymore. Uh, my boyfriend was back from Chicago and he had come to church. And so after church, I told him what happened. And he said, I, well, what do you want me to do? Bobby's my friend. Um, and that was pretty much the end of our relationship. I think my roommate Gracie, could, she knew what had happened. Um, she could tell this from, from me being upset. Um, but she just like kind of sat with me and didn't talk to me. She didn't want to talk about it. After that, any guy I dated um, was all over me and I was fearful to fight back. So I drank a lot in the months after the rape. I, um, and I had a lot of sex. Um, my theory at the time was no one's going to hurt me. I'm going to be in control of this. No one else is going to control me, so I'm going to take the lead. I felt like I needed to take my, my body back, if that makes any sense. I needed to be in control. And I was going to pick and choose who I kissed. And I was going to pick and choose what I did. Um, I was going to be in control of my life. And no one else was going to be in control of it for me. I have to relive that every time something goes wrong or I don't feel in control or I feel uncomfortable. Even just going out and having a guy come up behind me and put his hands on me and just want to dance is probably the most disgusting feeling in the world for me because it I just feel so violated. It's not just rape if you don't know the guy and he jumps out of a bush and you scream and fight him off, you know. Um, like, rape is just the lack of consent. It's not the random victim. It's the girl who trusted the guy and he took advantage of her.
and changed her life forever. To believe that he would have done um, such a thing was scary for them because this was like a brother who, a, a boy who was a brother, someone that they trusted. And I was like, well, I only go to parties where I trust people. I only get drunk if I'm with people that I know. Um, like, I don't get that drunk usually or, you know, like I'm safe and I don't really hook up with that many people, but I was with a good friend of mine, someone that I trusted, someone that I hadn't kissed before, and it happened. I ended up with one girlfriend who stood by me and believed me, others willing to know what I was doing, or they were telling me since I was drunk it was all my fault. Um, or maybe I was doing something like maybe I had my hand running up and down his back. And you know, guys have a hard time resisting something like that. It's easy to point fingers at me, but I said no over and over, and he knew how I felt about it. He knew I didn't want to, and he did it anyway. If someone was drinking, if someone was wearing a short skirt, if someone went back to someone's apartment and then changed their mind, you know, then maybe it's not entirely their fault, but it is their fault. I could be blamed by someone someday for something that I might, may have done wrong, but in the end it's his fault, it's his problem, not mine. Um, he should be the one dealing with the repercussions of this and not, not me. I think the statistic right now that they, you know, put out there is one in four, one in four women will be victims of rape. One in four women, one in four women are sexually assaulted in their lifetime. That's a huge percent and no one's talking about it. It's a really hard thing to talk about in general, but it's also really terrifying to think of people's reactions. People just treat me differently and I don't, I don't want to be seen as the rape girl. I'm still me and I'm still happy and have fun most of the time. Comes up occasionally but I'm just still me and I want to be treated as me and not have that associated to who I am. And they kind of like back away and they're like, oh no, like that happened to you. Like I shouldn't bring this up. I shouldn't um, go into that because I'm going to be touching a, a heavy subject and I don't want her to start crying or something. They would become angry with me for speaking out and I had some every now and then say, can't you just be quiet? Do you always have to talk about this? If some of them knew what I was doing today, they would say, wow, listen, Bonnie's still going on about that. She hasn't forgotten about it. And that's what bothers me more than anything. Like, like please, like my, my friends, it just makes me so angry sometimes when I see them squirm after I mention the word rape. and don't squirm about it. This is something that I want to talk to you about. It's something that I want you to be aware of. But my experience in talking to girlfriends wasn't nearly as helpful as talking to a therapist who automatically gave me credit for my story and believed me. She was the first person to look at me and say, you know, a lot of people would call that rape. And I thought about it and I said, wow, <laughs> I guess this wasn't in my head. I guess this really was rape, like I was raped. I don't even think he knows to this day that what he did impacted me and affected me. As we feel like shit, this guy gets to go out there and, you know, probably never really think about it again. The last guy I dated was actually the first guy I've ever been with or ever talked to that was totally and completely respectful of me and my body and my wishes and it was the biggest shock I've ever felt and then I realized that that's how it's supposed to be. I'm a survivor. I survived this and 
I'm a better person for it, and I really feel like I have that much more to offer the world because I went through this and I dealt with it and I'm okay now. That's why I'm doing this. I've taken it upon myself to spread the word that it's people you know and it doesn't have to happen and just to make a change and make girls feel strong and independent and not be taken advantage of. Um, so that's, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I am glad that this happened, and I'm glad that I'm doing what I'm doing now. Um, and I know that I can get through it, like, I'm getting through it, and I'm still not completely done, but I'll be okay. Um, and I know that, you know, nothing, I don't know, he can't, I'm not going to let him take control over any more part of my life, so. That whole idea of saying look at me now even though I was still very broken at the time it allowed me to start looking at myself in a different way and saying I am okay look that was four years ago that was six years ago and now you know I can say that was 25 30 years ago it's been a long time and and I'm okay Tending to survivor stories, really big part of what we're going to do this week and what hopefully we do all the time as we listen and support our friends. Interesting story about, um, uh, about this particular video. The, the person who took, um, who did the videography and put the piece together um, did so because um, within several weeks, uh, she discovered that all three of these women, who were, four women who were close to her, um, they all lived within a fourth of a mile of her. And because she was doing a piece in a paper about these issues, it invited conversation. And all of a sudden, she discovered that all of these people that she loved and cared about had a story. And that this is the project that came out of it. I wonder what a Goshen College film like this would look like, how we would react, what we would hear. So finally, um, you know, part of attending to survivors and the impact of violence in their lives is, is understanding that the risks that, um, that they face in the healing process. And so I, wanna, I wanted to end on this slide before we turn the page and say, okay, so now that we are all on the same page, we have a sense of the scope of the issue, and we've listened to people who have experienced this, what can we do? I mean, we're not part of the problem. We're not rapists in here, right? So one of the things that I, I've done in my uh, wor work in education is... Um, I gotta turn my page to my notes. I'm, I'm new with this whole fancy PowerPoint thing here, so bear with me. Um, what so often happens during these presentations when I make, um, when we talk about these issues is it's, it's really difficult for people um, to know what to do or how to respond. You know, they're sort of impacted and then you walk away and you say, oh, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. And um, I think a lot of times we react defensively and I think for men in particular, it's easy to say, 
okay, you know, I recognize that this is a gendered issue. The, the vast majority of perpetration um, is by men. And maybe, um, but that isn't me. The vast majority of men would never, ever rape or consider sexually assaulting their mothers or sisters or friends or anything like that. Um, and so there's a defensiveness like, I need to distance myself because I'm not one of those men that would perpetrate. And for women, it's easy to be, get defensive because, hey, I don't want this to happen to me. We have to figure out what we did, you know, what she did to what, you know, what I can do differently from her so that it won't happen to me. And so we kind of say, okay, we can't do that. When I do, I'm going to do an exercise with you, and this is something that I've done in Jean Lichty's uh, Women's Concern, Concerns class. Um, so I appreciate those of you in the audience who have already gone through this. I'm actually going to use some of your answers up here. So I usually do this in a sort of a more informal, um, participative way, but I'm going to try it out this way anyway. So what you tell me um, when we think about sexual violence, what do we think of, right? We think of rape and sexual assault and sexualized murder. We think of these most extreme forms, right? That's what rape is, that's what sexual assault is. And what can we do about that? Um, we don't know the perpetrators. We don't know what to do about these forms of sexual violence. And so the things that we come up with, and when I asked you in class, I said, what, so what, how, did we, how do we respond to this understanding of sexual violence as rape and sexual assault and sexualized murder? And some of the things you told me were, well, we, we got women's self-defense, right? Yeah, we're gonna get a class together. I'm a certified self-defense instructor. I think that's awesome. Yeah, let's get a women's self-defense program going. Let's watch our drinks when we go out. We can um, walk with purpose. That's my favorite, walk with purpose, you know. Keep your head up, be aware of your surroundings. All of these things are really important. Uh, don't walk al alone at night, you know. Be, be um, using a buddy system. Report suspicious behavior of anybody that um, you might think, um, you know, might be unsafe. And then I ask, what do all of these behaviors or responses have in common? And I'm going to pretend again like you're answering me. And what um, people in Jean's class have told me as well as in other presentations is, well, actually, when we look at all of those responses, they all have to do with regulating women's behavior or figuring out a way to reduce the risk for these things to happen, right? So, you know, if we just don't walk alone, if we just don't go out by ourselves, if we, if we you know, are constantly hypervigilant about our surroundings, then these things won't happen to us. Well, that doesn't, that's kind of scary. That's, that's not really true. Um, and don't get me wrong, all of these actions are important uh, in helping reduce some of the risks. But the problem I have is that this approach links sexual violence with the perception that it's a stranger, right? We're probably not going to use self-defense on somebody we know or care about um, when 80% of the time are perpetrators we know. It also suggests that if you do these things, you won't be a victim somehow. And it's another way to talk about being in a victim-blaming culture. Well, if you had just done X, Y, or Z, if you had only been, if you had only taken that self-defense class or watched your drink better, 
it wouldn't have happened. And at least for me, it confuses prevention with risk reduction. Because after there's been a sexual assault, the only person who could have prevented that action is whom? The perpetrator, right? So these are all things to reduce the risk, and they're important, but they're, it's not prevention. So when we think of those most extreme forms of sexual violence, and we're able to link it in um, with some other broad ideas about um, what it means to live in a rape-supported culture, I think it starts making more sense, and we can start answering that question about what are the things that we can do. And when I ask students, what, what kinds of things happen on an everyday basis here at Goshen College? What are, so what are some of the things that might be connected to this way that we sort of su support those extreme behaviors? And we, we kind of brainstormed and came up with things like stalking, um, sexting, unwanted sexting, fear of walking alone across campus. I mean, that's, that's a safety issue. How are these things related? Sexist jokes, they're funny, but not really. Unwanted physical contact, okay, you know, you can slap me across the butt. What is that? Is that just fun? Is that being funny? How might that support a broader culture that supports rape and sexual assault? Ah, oh, I love the relentless pursuit, the under romantic guise. You know, you're gonna go out with me, you know, whether you want to or not. And the constant, constant, relentless pursuit of um, ha having somebody go out with you. That can border on stalking and border on harassment. Um, why can't we just listen to each other, right? Uh, pressure to hook up at parties. And there's a party culture where that's expected or wanted. Um, posters, calendars, objectifying women or men. Um, also, sorry, that's dark. Being talked over, not listened to or intimidated to, to raise your voice. And you can see, if you look at it as a continuum, and the most severe behavior is at the top, nearest to sexual assault and rape. And then the more, you know, some of these behaviors, none of these are, are crimes. I mean, stalking can be um, prosecuted, and there is some sex sexting legislation going on. But most of this is just sort of everyday behavior, right? We, we even might even see this as normal, as part of being a guy or a woman, part of a dating culture. Um, but if we start looking at all of the behaviors and how they stack up and stand up, we can start understanding how our everyday behaviors are connected with a broader culture that, that um, supports sexual violence. Um, so the other part of this is that we can flip it around and we can say not only can we look at the behaviors that support a rape culture, but we can also talk about what's the ideal out there. We all want to be in healthy, um, equal relationships with people. And what does that look like if equality, respect, egalitarianism are things that we strive for? What are the behaviors that support those ideals? And then we say, okay, these are everyday things we can do in our life as well. Respecting boundaries, believing and supporting survivors. That's a big part of it. Active listening to our friends and our peers and our romantic partners supporting events on campus this week. Take time out, go and read the shirts, listen to people, attend an event you would never have attended before. Show your support, show your face, speak up, ask questions. Um, 
getting involved in social justice work, consuming healthy, non-sexist media um, and other sort of consumption practices. All of these things we can do, and we may not have thought of them as being directly connected with, um, with prevention, but in the end, it is. And we can see how all of that ties together, especially when we can articulate it to other people around us. Is that making sense? Yes? I had a very dear friend whose son came to one of these presentations, and he, his mom was a, is an amazing advocate and does this work all the time, so he went to a lot of these sort of presentations. And after presenting this idea that, you know, as a bystander, as somebody who is in the culture, we have a major role to do in, in reducing violence, he walked away saying, Mom, this is the first time I feel like I can actually do something as a nonviolent man, you know? Because he is a great guy. I love Jamie. You know, he's out there doing his thing and being a good person. But he would come to these presentations. He'd say, I don't know what to do. What can I do? Well, you know what? You can do a lot. You can do it every day as part of your, as part of your everyday um, behavior. So what I want to leave you with today is that um, all of this you remember I asked you to stay connected to why you care about these issues? Um, why it matters that we all step up and say, like, we will have no tolerance for violence? Um, sexual violence, one in four women on a college campus, that's not an inevitable. It's, that violence is, is something that um, happens in the context of a culture um, that either does or does not tolerate that kind of violence. Um, so you have an opportunity today, an opportunity this week, an opportunity this year to really step up and make a difference. So there it is. That's the hope for all of us. Uh, Dr. Dorothy Edwards, one of my per personal heroes of this movement, is traveling the country right now, sharing her approach to prevention that includes looking at the everyday people, the people who she did this statistical thing where she found out that there, were some t there should be in society, based on the number of actual perpetrators and the number of survivors, there are 30 or 40 people in between every perpetrator and every victim. 30 or 40 people who could possibly intervene, who could possibly say, we're concerned, we see something that's not good. And maybe it's not the big thing. Maybe it's not getting up and giving a speech or telling your story. Maybe it's just interrupting the joke or, or coming to the aid of somebody who is too intoxicated um, to get home okay. Maybe it's something as simple as you know, raising the, the issue in your classes or writing a paper on, the, on that project or like my friend Colleen, um, doing a, a project, um, putting it on the web. Um, whatever it is, you have a role to play. And in that, um, we can reduce, hopefully, eventually stop sexual violence here, Goshen College, in our broader community, and our world. I have to believe that's true. I do. So thank you very much for having me. Today is the day. Do something different.
Listen to your friends who are survivors. Believe them, support them, participate in the men's summit that's coming up, in the clothesline project, and take back the night. Become a visible ally that speaks out. Write a paper. Bring it up. Talk about it at the dinner table. What's the worst that can happen? We might learn something, right? We might invite somebody to share their experience with us. Do whatever you feel empowered to do. I would just say, do something. Do something different. And with that simple change, you become part of the solution in ending sexual violence on this campus. Thank you for having me. Thanks for your word, Kendra. My name is Emily Crable, and I'm a junior social work major. And as many of you have heard, this is Sexual Violence Awareness Week. And many clubs have worked very hard alongside SHAR and the Sexual Violence Task Force Committee to plan this week since the beginning of school. And we feel it's very important to talk about this issue. And um, because of that, we have many events scheduled for this week. The first event that you have probably seen on your way to chapel is the Clothesline Project, and you can also see it behind here. Um, the Clothesline Project has been a project that has been going on since 1990, and it's become a, voice, a way for women to voice their, their stories and their experiences with sexual violence. Basically, it started in 1990 with um, women writing stories on t-shirts and then displaying them in public spaces. And Goshen adopted this project and has been doing it for over 10 years as well. And you can make sure to stop by the plaza. Um, it is going on till Friday. Make sure to read these stories. A lot of them are pretty honest and hard to read, but they're our own stories. So make sure to read those. Um, the second event that's happening is this Tuesday. Um, Shigan is going to be leading an international discussion about women's issues. So make sure to check that out. I'm Quinn Brennecke, I'm a sophomore business major, and I want to take a minute to invite all of the men on campus to the Men's Summit. Um, that will be tomorrow night on Tuesday at 9 p.m. in Newcomer 19. Um, and it's going to be an opportunity for men on campus to share their thoughts and their feelings about this really heavy issue of sexual assault. Um, we want to be sensitive to what men are feeling also, and so this will be an opportunity to make your voice heard and talk about your concerns and your feelings about that. Um, so I invite you all to come to that, and there will also be free food, so I'm sure that will bring a lot of you. I'm Jesse Gottwalls, and I'm representing GSWA, which is Goshen Student Women's Association. And on Wednesday, October 26th, we'll be having Take Back the Night and Take Back the Night is an event that's been happening at different locations across the nation since 1975, and it's also become a tradition at Goshen. Men and women are invited to participate, and the evening will start in Newcomer 19 at 8 p.m. There will be an opening time of poetry and reflection, and then men and women's groups will walk through campus. The purpose of this event is to break the silence surrounding sexual violence and to also bring attention to the safety in the areas that we live in. Hi, I'm Becca Yoder. On Thursday, Pax Club is hosting a candlelight vigil in Shock Plaza following night class at 9.45. Um, so this will be a time of kind of reflecting on the week and ending ritual or ceremony 
um, to finalize all that we've discussed and talked about this week. Hope to see you there. And finally, Friday, October 28th, is the last day of Sexual Violence Awareness Week. And we encourage you on that day to wear purple and teal to show your support. Purple and teal are the colors of sexual violence awareness. And we will also have ribbons that look like this at different events throughout the week um, for you to pick up if you want to show your support. So thank you for coming to Convo this morning. And thank you to Kendra for speaking. Um, we hope to see you at events throughout the week. And you're dismissed.